Isn't God good? And He's good all the time. Last week, we had several things going on. Um, we had a deliverance ministry team down in Hauchi. Did you want to say anything about that, Rebecca? Any? Okay, put her on the spot. No. The pastor down there, Steve Perez, he's adopting into the vineyard tribe, and he was so blown away by the team that came and how they ministered to the people in that church and what he saw happen in their hearts and in their lives. God is on the move. Thank you, Jay. God is on the move, and we're watching him move all over the place, and it's exciting to be part of that movement of God, isn't it? Amen. And all of you are here today, I believe, because God has something for you, okay? You're not here just by chance. You're here for a purpose and a reason. The last few weeks prior to everything that was going on that I was sharing, I was talking about how we are vessels of honor. How many remember that? We are vessels of honor, and we are earthen vessels, but inside these earthen vessels is stuff. We were born in a fallen world. We were trained and raised in the world. So there's a lot of stuff inside of these vessels. And when we come to God, the Holy Spirit wants to come inside of us, clean house, and prepare it, uh, this earthen vessel, to receive something. And we talked about the gifts, the fruit of the Spirit, and we were going to talk about the gifts of the Spirit, but you can't talk about the gifts of the Spirit until you talk about the fruits of the Spirit. I think if you do, you're putting the cart before the horse. So what we did is we spent some time talking about the fruit of the Spirit, right? And we talked about Galatians 5.22, where it says and talks about this very fruit. It talks about how the fruit of the Spirit is, can you say it with me? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And all, depending on the translation, they might be worded a little bit different. But, but all of these are a result of someone who's walking in a spirit-filled, spirit-led life. As you walk with Jesus, these gifts will begin to be produced in you that allow you to walk in holiness, to walk as Jesus walked, to walk in a way that demonstrates his character to the world around us. That's what the fruit of the Spirit is for. But the gifts of the Spirit, which we're going to start begin talking about today, and this will carry on all the way through Mark and Julie Morris, they're going to come, and their heart is, we've been talking, their heart is to activate these gifts in our lives. I believe they have an anointed to do that, and I want to say, you all should be there. If you want to be activated in the gifts that God wants to give you and let you walk in, you need to be there. Amen? So we're going to be talking about the gifts of the Spirit, but I want to start with a foundation for the gifts of the Spirit. But listen, you can have one without the other. You can have the fruits of the Spirit and and or you can have the gifts of the Spirit, but I believe that God desires for us to walk in both. Fruit grows, as most of you know, because some of you I know have gardens, fruit grows on a vine and it draws its substance, substance from the vine itself, right? Well, in the same way, a born-again, recreated Christian abides in Christ, the same way they abide in Christ, the life of Christ within them is what produces the fruit of the Spirit. Did you catch that? So if you're allowing 
Christ to abide in you, if you're abiding in him, he's abiding in you, you have that union with him, your life should be producing the fruit of the Spirit. As you grow and mature in the Lord, you should be more patient. You should be more full of that unspeakable joy. There should be more of a peace and a goodness and, and all of the stuff and all the fruits of the Spirit should be manifesting in your life. Amen? It's kind of quiet in here. Let's get a little more Pentecostally, okay? Fruit requires, <laughs> thank you, fruit requires time and a lot of attentive care to grow and to develop, doesn't it? And, 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 and it's easy to see why someone who's new in the Lord would not be fully developed with the fruit of the Spirit. It takes time to mature. How many of you have, you came to Jesus years ago, and you knew someone then, and you hadn't seen them for years, and then years later, you encounter that person, and they go, wow, what is so different about you? Yeah, yeah. That is fruit of the Spirit. That's maturing in Christ. That's just showing that you're walking with Jesus. You're walking that Spirit-led, Spirit-filled life, allowing God to work in you and through you. But I'm going to tell you right now, when it comes to, because we're going to contrast the fruit of the Spirit versus the gifts of the Spirit, when it comes to the fruit, or excuse me, the gifts of the Spirit, it's possible for a newborn babe in Christ to experience the power of God. Amen? Amen? A lot of you, this is probably preaching to the choir, but this is just my intro to get us into where I want us to go. Yes, I wrote, God desires our lives to be filled with the fruit of the Spirit. Ephesians 5.9 says this, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. So if we're going to walk in goodness and righteousness and truth, if we're walking a Spirit-filled, Spirit-led life, there's going to be fruit. Why? So that people around us will recognize that we are children of the light. That's what the fruit does. It, it, it just produces something in us that attracts others to Jesus in us. Amen? It's not about us. It's about the power of God in us. It's about Him inside of us. Okay? So, I also believe that God desires all believers to have as John 7, 28, or 38 says, John 7, 38, if you're writing these down, rivers of living water flowing out of our innermost being so that we're able to minister in power to all of those who are around us. Amen? So that's kind of my intro. That's kind of filling you in from where we talked about last time, and I want to move on. It's interesting when you study the Word of God, and you see words in the Bible, and you look at the English version, and then you look at the Greek version or translation of the word, sometimes they're vastly different. How many of you experienced that? You read the New Testament, and you go, wow, in English, the King James, or, or if it's whatever translations you're reading, and then you actually go to the Greek, sometimes it's really different. And one of those words is the word charisma. Charisma. It's a word, if you go to the English dictionary, the word charisma literally says it's a compelling attractiveness or charm that can inspire devotion in others. Charisma. But if you look at the term charisma in the New Testament, you'll see how far it is apart from the popular meaning today. In fact, in today's vernacular, where a man or a woman with charisma is someone who exudes this natural charm and possesses this ability to arouse enthusiasm in others. 
All throughout history, we have seen people that actually had that kind of charisma, people that actually operated in evil. Charisma. But the New Testament Greek word for charisma is translated as gift, as spiritual gift, or as a free, free gift. Its root word is the root charis, and, and it's a given name derived from a Greek word which means grace, kindness, and life. Or, as most of us have heard it, it translates into the, uh, the free, unmerited favor of God towards the undeserving, as in the free gift of salvation. Charisma. Charisma. I wrote here, unlike the current usage, the word charisma, the Bible emphasizes a supernatural nature and free status of the gift, and it also really puts emphasis on the unworthiness of the recipient. In other words, you were given a gift, you did nothing to deserve it. It was just given to you. How many have ever received a gift that you didn't deserve? Everybody's hand should be going up if you're born again. <clears throat> it's called the gift of salvation. Nothing we could do to earn it. It was a free gift given to us by God. So to look at the nature of grace really is to, to gain a clear understanding of the gifts of grace. When I talk about the gifts of the Spirit, for me and the way I was taught and grew up years ago in the Lord, it was about, it was about gifts of grace. In other words, God gives us these gifts that allow people to experience. So, okay, let me just back up. God gives us a gift. We have this gift. He gives it to us at his own will. We have this gift. Someone comes along and we simply give that gift to them. What have we just done? We have manifested the grace of God towards that person. That gift allowed that person to experience the grace of God, whether it was through healing, whether it's through a word of knowledge, whether it was through, do you catch what I'm saying? Grace, grace is a powerful word. It's so much bigger than we think. I, I wrote here, and so the gifts of grace are manifested through the individual who recognizes their need for supernatural help. You know, John 1.17 tells us that the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. Grace comes from him and him alone. Grace and when I start talking about the gifts, I want you to picture God giving you something like a package. And that package is that gift. And we're going to talk and break all this down. But that gift is something that allows you to hand to them the manifest presence of God in some way, shape, or form. That's what the gifts are for. It manifests God in some powerful way. James 4, 6 says, He gives a greater grace... Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So gifts of grace can only be acquired by one mean. One means, and that is simply by the hands of faith. And all of these gifts that we're going to talk about are administered by only one agent. That is the Holy Spirit. This thing that years ago, we were at a conference eons ago in a whole other ministry, and I remember we were going up these stairs to a big hall upstairs. I remember these brothers standing on the steps, and they were like, hey, what's your gift? What's your gift? Well, my gift is I'm a deacon. What's your gift? I'm an elder. What's your gift? I'm an apostle. I'm a prophet. I'm an evangelist. I'm a pastor. I'm a what is your gift? I'm an angel. <laughs> I mean, they felt they owned these gifts, and, and the speaker, keynote speaker, who was Jim Durkin, must have caught on to this because he said, this is wrong. 
All of those gifts belong to the Spirit. They don't belong to you. They belong to the Spirit. And whoever's willing to be used by the Spirit, God will use those gifts through you to manifest His presence to everyone around you. That's what they're for. Paul describes a gift of grace, charisma, as a manifestation of the Spirit. Turn with me, if you would, to 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7. It's important we read this. Paul describes the gifts of grace, the spiritual gifts that we're going to really dig into, as manifestation of the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7. To each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. But what does this manifestation really mean? It simply means it is an act of an invisible Holy Spirit which is perceptible to the natural realm. It's something that we can experience by our physical senses. We can feel the Holy Spirit. We can sense the Holy Spirit. We can hear the Holy Spirit. We can see these manifestations with our own eyes. You can smell them. You can taste them. How many of you have seen some manifestation of the Spirit of God? Literally, seen it. How many of you have ever smelt some manifestation of the Spirit of God? And he's going, oh, this is getting creepy. <laughs> we were years and years and years ago. I was at the Assemblies of God. That's where I went to church, Parkway in town. And I remember... We had a pastor there, Pastor Tinsman. He was the sweetest, most gentle man. Do you remember Pastor Tinsman? He was wonderful. And he was sharing one time, just pouring out his heart, and he stops, and he goes, he's here. Can you smell that? And I kid you not, it was like roses. This beautiful fragrance of roses filled the room. It was amazing. And then at another time, he was sharing, he goes, he's here. And he says, do you see the hem of his garment? And I kid you not, you were able to look up and you saw this shimmering. It looked like a curtain or a veil. So I'm a big believer that when the Spirit of God manifests through the gifts, through any kind of unction, there is something visible happening and going on. Acts 2.33 says, Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. This is Acts 2, verse 33. He has poured forth this which you both see and hear. So you can see and you can hear a manifestation of the Spirit. You can. 1 Corinthians 2, 4 Paul says, and my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of spirit and of power. I'm telling you guys, the world is tired of this. They're tired of just talk. I'm telling you, you can talk the biggest talk. You can have all kinds of wisdom woven into it. You can do all of that, but at the end of the day, if they don't feel or sense or somehow something happens in their heart, it's a wash. I'm sorry. But when we begin to speak, knowing that God is going to speak through us, when God gives us a word of knowledge or our prophetic insight, and we're going to get into that, and, and we begin to speak for that, the Spirit of God manifests, and they know that they know that they know that they have encountered something 
that's outside of the world that they knew. Amen? That's what we're after. You guys are so quiet today. That's okay. Well, thank you. That's good. Thus, I wrote, charisma, gifts of grace, can be defined as grace made specific, visible, or effective. It's grace made manifest. Again, the gifts of the Spirit allow us to manifest God towards others, even if they don't deserve it. It's something free that God gives to us, and God says, you give it to them. You become the conduit. God speaks to you. You simply walk up. You're like the UPS driver. You're like the FedEx driver. You're like that person. They come up and they hand you a box. They don't know really necessarily what's in the box. They just know that the box has your name on it and they're to give it to you. And you open up the box and you go, oh! To the driver, it may mean nothing. But to the recipient, it means everything. It could be that moss-covered three-handled family gerdunza that they ordered off eBay. I don't know. But Paul also uses the word charisma to describe different forms of manifested grace. He does. And one of the cool things is is if you dig through the word, people just say, well, there's only nine gifts of the Spirit. There's so many gifts of the Spirit. So many gifts. There's more than nine. We're going to focus on the nine in 1 Corinthians 12. But there's gifts of ministry. There's gifts of help. There's gifts that are administrative. There's gifts that people just serve beyond your... How do they do that? Gifts of serving. There's gifts of exhorting. There's people that are gifts, they have the gift to be able to just give freely. There's people that, that have the gift to show mercy when, when everyone around them should be spanked, but they just show this incredible, how many know what I'm talking about? There's a lot of gifts, and the longer you're with people, and the longer you hang out with people, you begin to realize there's so many different gifts that God has woven into the fabric of who we are. I love that. I love that. Now, I'll just preface this with sometimes you will major and sometimes you will minor in some of these gifts. Some of these gifts, and we're going to get into it next week, some of them are woven into who and how God created us to be. Paul talks about when he begins opening up this discussion about spiritual gifts, he talks about how diverse they are. We're not all an eye. We're not all a hand. We're not all a foot. We're not all, you get that. We're we're very diverse. In this room alone, there's a lot of diversity in terms of gifts and giftedness, right? And it's exciting when you see everyone step up to the plate. If, if you were in a church that was just led by, let's just say, a prophet, that's all you got, it could get a little rough. If, if it was just led by one particular gift, it could get really rough. But at the end of the day, what God wants is us hitting on every cylinder, all the gifts functioning and flowing and, and moving as we move forward in Him. So again, like I said, we're going to limit our gifts, our, our, our discussion to the nine gifts of the Spirit. So turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to look at verses 8 through 10. I'll give you a moment to get there. 1 Corinthians 12. You had that on speed dial, right, Nick? I tell you, I love this time of year. Everything's blooming and stuff. But man, talk about allergies and hay fever. Just read. How many have an allergy struggling with it in here? Just stand up for a moment. Let's just do this. Just stand up from allergies. If you're struggling with allergies, okay, don't want to say that's okay. <laughs> Poison oak. There you go. I get some right here on my arm. It itches so bad. 
Father, we just lift up those to you that have allergies. Father, we just pray like you prayed and you taught your children how to pray. You taught your disciples how to pray. As it is in heaven, let it be here on earth. Father, we know in heaven there is no allergies. There is no sickness. There's no cancer. There's nothing like that, God. So, Father, we pray right now that your spirit would begin to flow from the throne and would flow through us, oh, to us, through us, out of us, God, in a way that would totally cleanse us from all of this yucky allergy stuff and any other sickness in this room, God. We speak healing, and we speak and we choose life in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 There you go. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 8, 9, and 10. <clears throat> Paul's laying it all out. He says, to one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. Now, we're going to break these down a little bit more as time goes on. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And still another, the interpretation of the tongue, our tongues. When these gifts are flowing in us and through us, they are all manifestations of, I believe, extraordinary abilities that operate through believers. And it's all done by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's nothing in you. Sorry, there's nothing in you. It is simply you're becoming a vessel that is filled with the presence of God and out of you flows, oh my goodness, the power of God. You're simply a conduit. You're simply the vessel. And wherever you go, wherever you put your foot, you should be taking that with you. And the whole idea is to set the captives free. Why does God want us to operate in these gifts? It's for a special service to the body of Christ and beyond. That's what the gifts are for. But God does require certain prerequisites. And I believe that these prerequisites, prerequisites must be met before he's going to bestow any spiritual gifts upon us. And let me really be really clear. Spiritual gifts, you can't just go online and order them. You can Google and YouTube them, but it doesn't work that way. You can watch other people operating their gift, and you can try to take it from them. It doesn't work that way. Spiritual gifts simply do not just happen. You don't accidentally stumble over them in the middle of the night and stub your toe on them and find a box and open it up and, oh, here's my gift. It's not how it works. The spiritual gifts we're talking about here in 1 Corinthians, they all belong to one spirit, and that is the Holy Spirit, and he distributes them according to need. And if your heart is, Father, I just simply want you to use me. In my life, God has used me in so many different ways and in these different gifts. I heard a brother one time share that his father, he was with at a mall, I think it was at a mall or some kind of a shopping center, and he's walking along and his dad has this massive heart attack, massive heart attack, and he says, I'm a teacher, that's the only gift I have, I'm just a teacher, what do I do? And then the Holy Spirit just stopped him and said, you need to start speaking in tongues, and he did. He started speaking in that ancient language. And it realigned his spirit with the spirit of God because all the traumatic stuff that's going on around him would obviously cause you to fall on your ear and slide for 100 yards. 
It's your father. He's having a massive heart attack. He said, I just began to speak and pray silently in tongues, and God began to realign my heart. And what I needed at that moment was a gift of faith, and I needed a gift of healing. And I just prayed in faith. I laid my hands on my father, and his father's heart went back to pumping normal. They still took him to the hospital and did the checkup and all that. But do you see what happened? If he had just been stuck in that one, I only have the gift of this, he would have missed a great opportunity. But he didn't. He was open. He was willing to be used however God wanted to use him. That should be our heart and our attitude when it comes to the gifts of the Spirit. They can no way be earned or in any way be deserved. They are simply grace gifts. They're given freely, I wrote here, by the Holy Spirit as he wills. But even though they are free, God requires you to ask for them, and in the asking, we have to have some kind of understanding of God's will in this matter to ask correctly and to receive. If you're going to ask for the gifts, you have to know how they work. You have to know God's heart. James 4, verses 2 and 3, I'm just going to read them, says, you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives so that you may spend it on your own pleasures. And I have watched people tried to manipulate the gifts for their own purpose and their own good. That is wicked and it's wrong. And God will deal with that. So, let's get into prerequisites. There's three prerequisites. We'll hit these pretty quick. The first one is baptism in the Holy Spirit. Baptism in the Holy Spirit. The very first qualification I wrote for receiving spiritual gifts is that you must be a born-again, spirit-filled believer. When you are filled with the Holy Spirit, what happens is, is we enter the realm of the supernatural. And the supernatural is our doorway to the, mani- to, the, to the miraculous manifestation of God's power in you and through you. The Holy Spirit opens up the door for the supernatural. And that's when it just goes to a whole nother level. How many know that experience? Yeah, it's powerful. Acts 1.8 says this, you shall receive power when the whole, and this is that duminous power. This is that power that explodes. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses. It gives us power to be able to witness to people. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest, remotest parts of the earth. The second prerequisite, believe it or not, is knowledge. Now, wait a minute, wait a knowledge. What? Doesn't knowledge puff up? No, there is a, there is a healthy knowledge. And in and, and his letter to the Corinthians, Paul begins his discussion of spiritual gifts with this matter of knowledge. He says in 1 Corinthians 12, 1, he says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brother, I would not have you be ignorant. That doesn't mean have you be stupid or not. Ignorance is simply the lack of not knowing. And what he's saying here is he's talking about ignorance with reference to the spiritual gifts. He says, I don't want you to be ignorant when it comes to the spiritual gifts. Ignorance of and about the spiritual gifts, guys, will always result in an inability to, uh, I wrote here, receive and participate in the things of the supernatural. So many people are so shut off when you start talking about the Spirit of God and the Holy Spirit. They're like, I'm done. I'm done listening. And they wonder why they live this life where they're struggling when they could live a much bigger, brighter, hopeful, powerful life for Jesus. If we're to understand 
and get our head around God's plan on the earth today, we must know about the Holy Spirit. We must know and learn about the Holy Spirit's proper place in our life as a believer and in the life of the church. And that's kind of where we've been going with all of this. Knowledge in this area, in terms of the spiritual gifts, will enable us to launch out in faith. It will allow us to receive God's grace, and it'll allow us to really obey God's commands. Amen? So knowledge of the, of the nature of these gifts with their proper operation comes through studying the word of God, being that noble Berean. This, this thing of pulling out the daily bread, I love inspirational scriptures. I love scriptures that are posted. Going to people's homes on the refrigerator, you see the scriptures. I love that stuff. But if that's the only way you're getting your food is one little card you pull out, you need to, you need to just stop for a moment. You need to go back and become one of those noble Bereans. And you need to begin to study from the end to the end, from the middle to the end, from the middle back to the beginning. Mean, you need to study the word. of How many of you, just maybe you don't have to raise hands, but I'm just curious how many of you have actually read through the entire Bible? <clears throat> okay, but how many of you understand all of the Bible? That's why you got to keep reading it. Because it's always changing. The word says it's always changing. You go back, you've read something. I've read that a thousand times. You go back and you read it again. You go, uh-oh. I didn't see that. I mean, did the words get... What happened here? You've read it a kajillion times, but at the end of the day, God's word is active. It's alive. It's always changing. The third thing is, and this is so important, it's desire. How hungry are you? So desire in relation to spiritual gifts, Paul gives these incredible vital instructions as how we're going to receive the gifts of the Spirit. And he talks in 1 Corinthians 12, 31. He says, earnestly desire, the King James says, covet the greater gifts. Earnestly desire, covet. You guys understand what covet means, right? It's kind of like, yeah, kind of looking at somebody else is going, I want that, I want that. How many of you have watched other people and they're ministering their lives and they go, man, I want that in my own life? Maybe not what they're doing, but you want to experience that power. You want to experience that freedom and that peace. Well, they paid a price for that because they earnestly went after it and you're beginning to see fruit in their lives. Isaiah 26, 9 has this beautiful scripture. It says, in the night I search for you. In the morning I earnestly seek you. How many of you have that written on your heart? That at night, you earnestly, earnestly are searching for the Lord day and night. Only you can answer that question. Psalms 42, David says it's so beautiful. He says, as the deer pants for water, so my soul pants for you, oh my God. Are you that hungry? Are you thirsty? Do you really truly want more? Or do you just want to sit here and have your ears tickled? I'm not trying to meddle, but I am. <laughs> you just need to figure that out. If you want more, are you earnestly seeking it? 1 Corinthians 14.1 says, Pursue love, yet earnestly desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. 1 Corinthians 14.12, Since you are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek to abound. That means seek to excel for the edification of the church. So earnestness really denotes this uh, a determination and a seriousness of purpose. 
How serious are you? How earnest are you about seeking after the things of God? You have to figure this out. Are you all in with all of your heart? Or are you just kind of a Sunday cruiser? You have to figure this out in your heart. I wrote here, true desire is a zealous searching for. It's a crying out of the heart. Oh, my goodness. It's a hunger and a thirst. It is a wholehearted seeking that places the most value on the thing that you are pursuing. Guys, think about this moment for a moment. Remember when you first met your wife-to-be? Remember that moment? You got quiet in here. Come on, guys, help me out. Am I the only one? There you go. There you go. Yes, yes. I was in English class, high school. Chemistry. Was it chemistry? You had chemistry. There you go. I mean, I jumped out of a window for this woman. It wasn't two stories. It was just... <clears throat> I was in love. I was Twitter-pated. I would do anything to just get to spend time with her. I would move people out of the way. I would... I, I was in love. And that was 45 years ago. And I... Yeah, yeah. yeah. And she will attest to it. it. It always hasn't been total bliss. We've had our moments, but I'm still, and she is still madly, passionately in love. We earnestly set our hearts to seek each other, and as we came to Jesus, we earnestly decided that we were going to set our home and the compass of our life to serve him with the rest of our life. And we went after it with all of our heart, and we're still endeavoring to do that today. So, Earnest desire for the things of God really does require that we separate ourselves apart to God. We do. We have to. You know, some of you have kids and, and young families. We've been through that season in our life, and I know it's hard, but somehow husbands, wives grace each other, give each other the space and the place to be able to do that. If, if, if husbands watch the kids so mama can go have that quiet place where she can pursue God. Husbands, our wives do the same thing for your husbands. It reciprocates. It goes both ways. And when you do, I'm telling you, you'll have a better spouse because they've gone to God and they've got something to offer that's more than just, I'm here, I'll cook you dinner. There's something deeper that happens. And those of you that have experienced that, you know that. We need to move away from the pleasures of the world. That's such a big draw on us. That can catch us like squirrel. I'm guilty of that. Squirrel, squirrel, and you're just going different directions, darting around. And you know, one of the things that we can really get caught up into is things that seem really good and worthy, things that seem noble and right, but I'm telling you, if God's not in it, it is a wash, total wash. Now, now hear my heart for a moment. I have worked with homeless and the poor for years, but God told me many times that the, you will always have the poor among you. They will always be willing to take as long as you're willing to give. They will take and take and take. I don't mean that in a negative way. That's just where they're at. But at the end of the day, it's like Smith Wigglesworth. God, I can speak to thousands and have it all sucked out of me. Or Father, I can sit here and you show me the one. That's in tune with the Spirit of God. So Smith Wigglesworth would sit on the bench and hundreds of people would walk by and God would say, that's the one. And then he would pour his heart into that one. We can be so in tune to the Spirit of God 
that when we're sitting there waiting for our assignment, God goes, here comes the package. It's coming down the chute. Okay, God, show me the one. He's right there. We hand it to him. And now they get to experience the grace of God in some kind of crazy manifested way. Whether it's a healing, word of knowledge, whatever it may be, they get to experience that there's something bigger than them. Above all else, I wrote, we are to be motivated by a desire to demonstrate God's love. And that is towards the world. That is the more excellent way that Paul talks about when he says, I will show you a still more excellent way. Are you motivated by just serving yourself? Are you motivated with a desire to demonstrate God's love to the world? I mean, it's easy to drive down the road and drive right by opportunities. It's easy. And have all kinds of reasons in your heart and your mind to justify why you drove by something where the Holy Spirit said, you need to address this. And it isn't physically driving. It could be walking. It could be anything. One of the things that we're in the habit of doing is when we go into a restaurant, we order a meal. We ask the waiter or waitress if there's anything that we can pray for them about. Because we're going to be praying for our food. We took that team down to the Marmarillo Conference uh, crusade a while back. And we just asked this young lady, hey, we're getting ready to eat. Is there anything we can pray for you? It broke. She just broke. She just shared her life story. She was so excited that someone would stop and care enough to speak into her life. She went back and told her manager. It was a powerful, powerful moment. We were able to bless her. And time and time again, my wife and I have done that, and some of you do that too. Those are opportunities to be able to demonstrate just the manifest presence of God, His amazing grace, that this person that I'm waiting on would care enough to ask me, how am I doing? And you would be amazed. I have maybe in all the times I've done it, I've maybe had two people go, no, I'm good. They'll use or they'll come back with their little thing writing going, well, uh, you could pray for, you know, or you could, or they'll write something out and slip it on the table. Barb, you're very good at that. Words of knowledge and knowing, and you just go after it with total abandonment. These are the things that we need to work on if we're going to express Jesus to a lost world. I'm so far off my notes here. I'm almost done. Here's one of the things I really want to drive home. We must understand, totally get our head and heart around, that the gifts of the Spirit have nothing to do with our education. They have nothing to do with our intellect, our natural wisdom, our talent, our, our goodness. It has nothing to do with that. The Spirit has the gifts and gives as He wills to those that are open to be used by the Spirit. They are completely supernatural, originating in God, and we are the only channels through which the gifts flow. That scripture I talked about in 2 Corinthians 4, 7, I alluded to a little bit, but the excellency of power is always from God. In fact, it says, in 2 Corinthians 4, 7, it says, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power of, <clears throat> that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. So in these earthen vessels, there is power. In fact, it's called latent power. Do you guys know what the word latent means? Stored up and ready to go. In biology class, I remember talking about latent power 
and, and it was described to us like a bud. I think they got it right out of a dictionary, but it, it described a bud that on a tree that's just like in this resting stage, lying dormant or hidden until everything is just right, and then boom, manifestation. Springtime. <clears throat> you ever notice that? Nothing, nothing, nothing. All of a sudden you look again, it's like, whoa, where did those come from? That is latent power. And in every one of you, there is latent power. Every one of you has the potential to be able to manifest the presence of God through the gifts of the Spirit. Amen? Amen. But I wrote here, because of ignorance and fear of the supernatural, and this is such a heartbreaker to me, the majority of today's churches, I'll use plural, they have always clung and still will cling to the natural. And they remain ineffective and for the most part silent when it comes to things of the Spirit. There's good people in these churches. They're wonderful, kind, generous people. But at the end of the day, they see no power. And I've talked to people more and more and more saying, you know, in my church, I don't feel the power of God. They, they, they kind of bump up against it, but they don't seem to want to let anybody go into it. So they pull back from it. It's time, I, I, it's time that the church be informed. It's time that the church is called into active duty. You guys have been hearing me say this for a long time. Now is the time to stand. Now is the time to fight and to use the gift that God has given you, and that is your voice. And you can truly speak forth these gifts that God has given to the body to bring life and healing into other people's lives. I believe we're in one of the biggest Isaiah 60 moments we have yet to experience in all of humanity. And that is that scripture that says, Arise and shine, for your light has come. Let's stand. Listen, arise and shine for your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. See, the darkness covers the earth and the thick dark darkness is over the peoples, but the Lord rises upon you and his glory appears over you. God wants to empower you. God wants to fill your presence, uh, fill you in your presence like you've never known before, but in the night, are you searching? In the morning, are you earnestly seeking him? How hungry are you really for more? Does your soul truly long for more? Only you can come to that conclusion. You have to figure this out. If you want to be one of those that steps into your season, and I believe that God is raising up an army, of people that are willing to hear and to listen and respond to that call and say, it's not about me, God. There is nothing in me that is worth anything other than your presence. Will you use me? Will you put me in the game? This is not a spectator sport. This is a, this is, this is a moment when all of us get to step into the game. God wants us. There is no plan B. We are it. Jason? I want you to listen to this song. And if you're hungry for more, you know, I, I don't know how you want to do this. I, I, I don't want to manipulate you, but I know that there are people here who need prayer. And there's people here who are very hungry and they want more. And I would love to be able to lay hands on you and say, more, Lord, more, Lord, more, Lord. So if that's you, if that's cry, come on in, come on up. God, we've come to meet with you tonight. I'm going to need some ministry team people up here.
Jesus!